Good morning again, everyone. Welcome. We're so glad that you're with us. Hello, Smyrna Campus. Love you guys. Glad you're with us. Everybody connecting with us online, we're glad that you found us there. We are finishing up a series today called Best Boss Ever. And we started the series by looking at Jesus and why he is qualified to be the boss of our lives and why when we choose to be a disciple of Jesus, to follow Jesus, we end up having the best boss ever. He loves us so much, he's willing to sacrifice everything for us to provide for us what we really need. And in this series, we've looked at how we are uh, allowing him to be the boss of different areas of our lives, the boss of our attitude, the boss of our relationships and our priorities. And today we're going to be talking about allowing Jesus to be the boss of our possessions. There was a, a teenage boy that wore contacts that was out playing basketball in the driveway and he lost a contact. And he spent a little time out there looking for it, you know, crawling around on his hands and knees. He, he couldn't find it and he gave up pretty quickly and he went in and told his mom about it. The mom immediately ran out the door, got down on her hands and knees, started scouring the driveway, found the contact, brought it back in the house and said, here it is, be more careful. And the son was amazed. He said, how did you do that? She said, we were looking for different things. You were looking for a little piece of plastic. I was looking for $150. <laughs> right? We will do things for money, won't we? We, we will make that, uh, the things that we value. We'll give higher energy and, and resources and efforts to the things that we value the most. And when it comes to possessions... It's easy to get it out of balance with being a Christ follower and that relationship that we have with our possessions. So today we're going to look at an encounter with Jesus and, and uh, his uh, crowd that he's talking to, teaching, an encounter that he had with someone who asked him a question. And, and his answer and the parable, the story that he tells in response to it really teaches us about having the right balance with our relationship with him and how that affects our relationship with our possessions. And we're going to look at four uh, priorities with our possessions, four things, uh, practices that are important for us to look at uh, when it comes to our possessions. The four P's is what we're going to look at today. All right. Four. Every one of these points starts with a P. I like to do that. You know, I like to do that with the points sometimes. I don't know why. It helps me remember them most likely. All right. Let's look at it. It's found in Luke chapter 12. We're going to pick up with verse 13 of Luke chapter 12. Jesus is there teaching the crowds, and it says in verse 13, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? So let's start with the first P. That's the problem. The problem that Jesus recognizes that this guy has. Now, this guy thinks he has one problem, but Jesus is going to indicate he has a different problem. This guy thinks his problem is his brother, not giving him his share of the inheritance. He, he has been listening to Jesus, and somehow he's convinced he needs to take this problem to Jesus. Now, Jesus wasn't in a position legally to settle a dispute like this. This is not, you know, he, he didn't have any title, any official role where he could settle this kind of dispute. But somehow this person in the crowd thinks 
Jesus cares about people. He'll care about me and my problem. So I'll share this with him. And maybe because people are recognizing Jesus as an authoritative teacher, maybe my brother will actually listen to Jesus. Evidently, he's been trying for a while and getting nowhere with his brother. Now, in that culture, most likely this is a younger brother. Because in that culture, the oldest in the family, the oldest son usually, would handle the estate when somebody died. They would be legally put in charge of that and dividing everything up. And this younger brother most likely feels like his older brother is not giving him his fair share. Maybe he hasn't even given him any of it yet, but, but certainly he feels like I haven't gotten what I should get at this point. And I want you to get my brother to give me my share, the division of this estate that should come to me. Now, we don't know if it's a half that he was supposed to get or a quarter of it. We don't know if there are other siblings involved. We don't need to know all of that. We just need to know that his idea is the problem is that my brother won't give me what I'm supposed to get. Now, when you read the rest of the encounter, I think Jesus sees that this man has a different problem. It's not just that he can't get his brother to do what he wants his brother to do with the inheritance. Jesus is going to indicate that the motivation behind this is the problem. Okay? Now, Jesus is not saying if an estate needs to be settled and you have a certain amount you ought to get that you shouldn't get it. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying that the motivation behind this question that's being asked might be an indication that this guy's priorities and his relationship to possessions is not where it ought to be. And if we're going to allow Jesus to be the boss of our possessions, by the way, when I say our possessions, I want to be clear about something. These are our possessions only in the sense that God allows us to have them. Okay? Uh, that, that's the only way they're really our possessions. Because who really owns it all? God does. But God in his love and mercy and provision for us allows us to have some possessions to manage on his behalf. We know that's a clear teaching of scripture that we, we manage his possessions. Well, this guy is not looking at this as anything but that's my inheritance that I should have and my brother ought to give it to me now. It's like that commercial for, what's his name, J.G. Wentworth. It's my money and I want it now, right? That's kind of the approach we think this man has because of the response that Jesus gives to him. So the problem is not what this guy thinks it is, not in Jesus' view. There's a passage in Ecclesiastes that reveals a little bit about how this could be a problem for all of us. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10, it says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. You see, when you drill down a little deeper, the motivation behind the question that Jesus is going to address is not, let's make sure my brother's fair. The motivation behind it is my love for money and possessions. That's what rules my life. That's what controls my decisions. That, that's why I do what I do. The way I do it is because of my love for money. 
We're going to talk about this a little more today. Obviously, Jesus doesn't teach that money's evil, and that, that's a misquoted verse that money's the root of all evil. That's not true. We know that it's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. So it's the motivation behind it that matters. If Jesus is going to be the boss of our possessions, then our love for Jesus has to trump our love for our possessions. Okay? He's not saying you can't appreciate possessions, you can't have possessions. He's just saying you got to be careful what you're being motivated by in your life. Are you being driven in your decisions by your love for the stuff instead of for your love for Jesus? So that's the problem. And in response to the problem, the problem Jesus knows is really there, not just the problem the guy thinks he has. Jesus shares a principle. Look at verse 15. As a part of his response, Jesus shares this principle with him and with all of the crowd and all of us. He said to them, notice it's plural. He's talking to the whole crowd now, not just to the guy who asked the question. He said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of, what word does he use? Greed. And then he gives them this principle. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So Jesus is drilling down to the motivation and the priorities, not just the desire to get the inheritance. He's talking about what's driving that desire for this guy to try to get Jesus to settle this dispute here. Jesus has said, I, I don't have the authority to settle this dispute between the two of you, but I want to teach you something you need to know here. You need to know that greed is not a good motivator for living a life that's pleasing to God. It's not. Greed is not the right priority to have. This, this relationship with possessions is out of control if you're being driven by greed. And most of us would like to think we're not, but let's talk about it a little bit more, right? Uh, how easy it is in our culture to let us, to allow us to slip to that side a little too far, right? To go just a little too far that way sometimes, being motivated by greed. So he says, I want to give you a principle to live by. Now, when he says watch out, what does that mean? It means what? Watch out, right? That's pretty. <laughs> we go deep here at Lakeshore. I just want you to know that. Right? It means watch out, right? And usually in most translations, it uses an exclamation point there because the phrase in the original language is emphatic. And it actually means literally post a guard over yourself in this area. Okay. Why do we need to post a guard? Why does everybody in the world need to post a guard against allowing this to get out of hand? Against greed. Why do we need to post a guard against greed? Because it's so easy in the flesh to let this creep in to our lives. Even when we don't mean for it to. Even when we, we would deny that it's controlling us. It can still be there. Deep down behind the scenes and the choices we're making and the actions that we're taking or not taking. Greed can be back there more than we think it is. That's why you have to post a guard. When you're posting a guard, you're making sure something doesn't get in there that shouldn't be in there. He's saying, I want you to post this guard against greed because it doesn't need to be in your life. It doesn't need to be controlling you 
and your decisions and your relationships with other people. This shouldn't be the motivating factor. And this guy is allowing greed to come between him and his brother. It's going to destroy that relationship if they don't get this worked out. I've seen it over and over again, haven't you, in families? Especially when somebody has died and there's anything left that they have to divide up among siblings, how relationships can get totally ruined and destroyed because somebody's mad about who got something and who didn't. It's just greed. Greed can destroy relationships very quickly. Greed can destroy lives, and that's why he gives this principle. Paul reminds us of a, uh, another warning about greed and how it can destroy lives. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 9, he, he warns Timothy in his teaching to, to teach this principle too. He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That driving desire of your life, if the number one priority is get rich or die trying, will destroy relationships left and right. And it can destroy you if that's the driving force of your life. Sounds like a cool song, but it's not a cool way to live. If your number one priority is to get rich, it means... You will do things that you never thought you would do if it comes down to whether or not that will advance your cause of getting rich or not. You'll make choices that you never thought you'd make if it means you get a little more advantage to get rich like you're trying to get rich. One of the things that worries me right now is how much they're pushing the sports gambling now uh, here in Tennessee I'm not saying you can't ever gamble that you're going to go to hell if you place a bet. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that it's so dangerous. People will literally, who get caught up in this, will miss paying the rent and buying the groceries to gamble one more time. And their families will suffer for it. Because the goal is to get rich, right? That's the American dream. Get rich or die trying. Get rich or get a divorce or lose your family or relationship with your kids, get rich or whatever it takes to do it, right? If that's the driving force of your life. And so Jesus says, watch out, put up a guard because your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. And that passage in 1 Timothy 6 where it says it can, it can cause you to get into temptation and a trap and all kinds of foolish and harmful desires. The very next verse is the one that says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. I've talked about it many times here at Lakeshore, but I want to remind you to think of all those things going on out there in the world that we think are terrible things and what's really behind it. One of the worst right now is human trafficking. There's only one motivation for that, friends, for anybody trafficking another human being. It's to get the money, period. And they're so determined to make lots of money that they don't care whose lives they destroy to get it. And they know they can make a lot of money doing this. And they don't even care if they have to trick and kidnap young people to do it. They don't. They want to catch them in a vulnerable position and use them to get more money. Same thing is true with every drug dealer out there. They don't care about you and what damage it does to your family. 
They just want to get the money for the drugs. It's my opinion, and I take a lot of flack for it, that that controls the abortion industry too. There's so much money to be made with that. And there, it's a billion-dollar industry in our country. We will do things and convince ourselves that they're okay if we know we're going to get some good payback for it financially because the possessions are the most important thing, right? Having the toys, having the stuff, that matters more than anything else. If your priority is to get rich, it does. So Jesus, in response to all that, tells a story to show them the futility of making that the priority of your life. And we know the story most likely. Let's look at it here uh, in the parable that he tells, beginning with verse 16. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I've got no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. There I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds like a great story, right? Good story, man. Love it. Success story. That's what it is. It is the great American dream success story. The guy's already rich, but he gets richer. He has this abundant harvest that comes in. It is so great that even with the barns he's already got, he can't get it all in there. So he has to decide what he's going to do with this great wealth of blessing that he has. And what does he decide? Well, the logical thing is to tear down those smaller barns and build some bigger ones so I could store up all of that. I've got plenty then for years to come. I can just stop working so hard, right? The American dream, get to that retirement, right? Have enough money to live. He didn't have just enough to survive. He was going to be able to live well for years with this great harvest that he had. Eat, drink, and be merry. I can just party now. I can just have fun. I don't have to worry about stuff anymore. Paying the bills. Shoveling snow. All of those things, right? Like you saw in the clip earlier. Money can get us all the stuff that we want to have and get us away from all the stuff that we don't want to have in our lives. That's what money can do for us. So that's got to be the goal, right? Let's get rich, and if you're rich, get richer. Because if you love money, how much is enough? <laughs> it's always just a little more. Every survey ever done of Americans in the past 50 years has asked how much money would it take for you to be happy and overwhelmingly the number one response every year they do the survey is just a little more if I made just a little more I could be happy but when they do the survey several years later and they do have a little more what's their answer again that year just a little more just a little more and then I'll be happy Big push right now, right? We've got to raise the minimum wage to $15, and that sounds good until you realize it just creates a chain reaction. If they have to pay their workers $15, then what are they going to do to the price of the products? Every time you raise what you pay somebody, you've got to raise the price of the products to sell it to cover paying the people that money. 
That's why today, uh, I can remember uh, our first house that we bought. Sue Ann and I bought a tiny little house near my hometown. You know what we paid for it? We paid $5,500 for it. And I'm not that old, people, okay? <laughs> it, it needed a whole lot of work. And my grandpa and I got in there and remodeled it and fixed it up and everything and made it a pretty nice, still a little bitty house, but a pretty nice little bitty house, okay? Even that little house today, if it was fixed up and in good shape today, that little house would sell for closer to $85,000 today. Same little house. But people make more today than they did then. You see, it all equals out. It's all a chain reaction. You keep wanting to make more, but they have to keep raising the prices to pay you more and still make a profit because the people want to make a profit who own the business and who take the risk and who make the investment, right? They want to make a profit too. So it's just a chain reaction. And now people are making more than they've ever made and we're struggling just as much as we've struggled in years. Because what is it going to take to make us happy? Just a little more. If the driving force of your life is the stuff, getting the stuff, making the money to buy the stuff, then there's no end to it. There's no end to it. So in this parable, he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to build bigger barns and I'm going to take life easy. I can live in retirement and live well now in retirement. But verse 20, God said to him, you, what does he call this guy? Fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This parable is oftentimes abused and misused too in how it's taught. Because Jesus is not condemning the guy for being rich. And he's not condemning his success in any way. Nowhere in scripture is anyone told by God that it's wrong for them to have wealth or riches or nice stuff ever. So let's not go there. Let's not let somebody convince us that, that, that those people are evil if they're wealthy and they're rich. That's what makes them evil. No, that's got nothing to do with whether they're evil or not evil. Nothing to do with that. You see, the problem Jesus points out with this guy in the story is not that he's wealthy. It's not that he's successful. Look at that last part again. This is how it will be with whoever stores up for, for things for themselves. If he had stopped there, then you would have said, okay, that's why the guy's evil. He's putting stuff away for the future. And that would be evil then. But that's not where Jesus stops. He's not saying you shouldn't have a savings account. He's not saying you shouldn't have a 401k. He's not saying you shouldn't prepare for the future by putting some stuff back for the future. That's not what he's saying. Listen to what he says. Who stores up things for themselves, but is not what? Rich toward God. That's the problem. That he's not rich toward God with what he has. Whatever amount it is. Wouldn't matter what amount it is. If you're not rich toward God with what you have, that's the problem. You say it's easier to be rich toward God if you're rich. We think so. But you know, surveys show that on average, the percentage of income people give to the church is higher for middle income people than for anybody else. By far. 
Wealthy people don't give nearly as high a percentage of their money to God on average. There are exceptions to everything when you say an average as people in middle income levels. And people in middle income, not even the poorest, but in the middle income range, give the highest percentage to God of their income on average. We are offering uh, right now signups for Financial Peace University. It's a great class, and if you haven't ever been through it, I would encourage you to consider going through it. Uh, we've got a family here at the church that's going to be doing this as a life group in their home. Great study, and you can sign up at the kiosk or, or on the website. But Financial Peace University is a great program because it never teaches you to think of getting more as evil. It simply teaches you to manage what you have the right way, the best way. You see, in the eyes of God, we are responsible to manage his stuff. And if you do a good job managing and he gives you more to manage, then he wants you to manage that well. And if you manage it well, chances are you could get more. Right? If you don't let yourself get over your head in debt because of greed, if you get out of debt, get back on top of that, then you can be freer to do good stuff with the wealth, with the stuff that you've got. Right? So it's about management in a way that's pleasing to God. You manage it well. That's our responsibility as Christ followers is to manage it well. So, so Jesus, in response, says, all right, uh, this guy only thought of himself. He didn't think at all of using it for God or for God's glory. It was all just for him. And he didn't even once say, here's what I'll do. And he thought of somebody else. I will do this with my money. That's all he thought about. Not how it could be used to bring people to honor and glorify God. In fact, he didn't even mention God as a source at all for what he had, did he? In the story. And he's going to die that night after he made those plans. And then who's going to get what he planned to keep for himself? Somebody else is going to get it now. It's not going to benefit him in any way when he dies that night. You see, when you die, it won't matter how much is in the bank account as far as your benefit from what you have. It won't matter at all. I know we say the one who dies with the most toys wins. But the problem is they're still dead. And there is no prize after that for having the most toys. There's not. But there is a reward for those who manage what they had well. God honors that. God rewards that if we manage it well for him. So we've looked at this this problem and the principle about life not consisting in the abundance of our possessions. Jesus tells this parable about this rich guy. So I want to close with this last P. And that's the promise that Jesus follows up with in the next few verses here. Okay. A lot of times we read a parable and we get to the end of it and we stop like that's the end of the teaching. It's the end of the parable. That wasn't the end of the teaching. Okay. Jesus was still teaching after he finished the parable. And, and he told them some things that they needed to hear moving forward. Look at verse 22. We see the beginning of Jesus sharing a promise. Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, when it says therefore, what does it mean? It means go back to see what that story is there for that I just told you. 
All right. I told you this story, therefore, so that you will now listen to this and do this. He's connecting those two things. Okay. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear for life is more than food, the body more than clothes. Consider, he gives some illustrations here. Consider the ravens. All right. These birds here. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Any of you have a footnote there? Look at your, look at your scriptures. Do you have a footnote? Or a cubit to your height, it says. Because <laughs> some manuscripts have that kind of in there, okay? I just wanted to throw that in there for fun. I resemble that remark. But he adds this, since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? He doesn't stop with the birds. He says, consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor is dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? He sets it up this way. God cares for the birds. He cares for the wildflowers that just spring up. You don't even have to plant those they, out in that part of the world. They just spring up overnight and they're in the heat of the sun. They are gone by the end of the day. Yet they're beautiful. He says, now think about this. Aren't you worth more to God than the birds and the wildflowers? Don't you think he values you more than the birds and the wildflowers? Now, animal rights people, listen, he's not saying don't value the birds. That's not what he's saying. He's saying God values people more than anything else. That's the highest of his creation. We're created in his image. Nothing else is. Don't you think if he cares for them the way he does, he's going to take care of you? Doesn't that, he's saying, doesn't that make sense that God would do that? It's like he's saying, duh, come on, people. You should get this by now. You should grasp this by now. That God is going to take care of what he values. And he values you above everything else. How do we know God values us like that? Because he sent his son to die for us on the cross. That's how we know. Right? He does a lot more than that. But that's the, that's the ultimate example of how he values us. That he would let Jesus die for us on the cross. He didn't stop there. He, he went on. If that's how he clothes the grass of the field, it's here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire. How much more will he uh, clothe you, or you of little faith? Then he says, don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. I want you to catch that phrase very clearly. Don't set your heart on those things. Doesn't mean don't plan for it. It doesn't mean don't work to earn it. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying just, just go about your life and don't even care about it if you're ever going to have anything to eat or drink or not. That's not what he's saying. He's saying don't, don't make that where your heart is, the stuff. Don't let that be the driving force of your life. But he says instead of doing that, how, how are we able to do that? He tells us, listen, listen to what he says. He says, verse 31, seek his kingdom 
And all these things will be given to you as well. Some translations say, seek first his kingdom. And all these things will be given to you as well. He's talking about priorities and how you live your life based on your priorities. Now, we all said, I talked about this last week, if we were to list our priorities, most of us in the church would always know who to put first, right? In the list of priorities, what to put first. What would we all put first in our list of priorities? God, right? God first. We all know the right answer. But to the hours spent and the investments made, the use of the time and the energy and the resources that we have now, do they really reflect the decisions we make today and tomorrow? Do they really reflect that God is first in our priorities? Or is making the money first? Paying the bills first, getting the clothes first, buying the car first, getting that house we want to get, is that first? And the only way to tell what's really first is look at your time and your money and how you spend them, what you do with them. Because that's how you measure priorities in a culture where you have to spend time and money to do things. That's the existence that we're in on this earth. So how you're spending your time and investing your life and what are you doing it for? That's the top priority. And I hear this all the time. And that's why I love doing Financial Peace University and other classes like that because we deal with this from Scripture. Oh, I would love to start giving to the church and I would love to start, you know, tithing or whatever term you want to use, whether it's 10% or whatever you want to give. But I just can't afford it. I've got to get some bills paid first. I've got to get the kids through school first. I've got to, you know, get the car paid off. You know, all these things we say we've got to do first. And then we have all good intentions that we're going to start supporting the church, giving and being part of investing in the work of the kingdom after we do all of that. So what have we just said our priorities are? All the other stuff. Those are the real priorities of our life. And I'm not saying you could just automatically, I'm not saying don't pay your bills and now start giving this amount to the church. What I'm saying is, is every choice we make makes it either possible for us to show that God is first or it keeps us from being able to show that God's first. Right? So we need to make wise decisions. And that's what the story is about. Make better decisions with what you make the priorities of your life. Seek first the kingdom of God. Make that the highest priority. I've talked about this before, but I want to close with this. It's what we call uh, top button issues. Uh, if you're buttoning up the shirt and you get the top button wrong, what happens to the rest of the buttons? They're all out of line, right? They don't match up. But if you get the top button right, what does it do for the next one? It lines it up. And then the next one's lined up. If you get that one, and the next one's lined up right, right? Tony and I talked about this a few weeks ago, right? Top button issues. The top button issue should be the kingdom of God for everybody who claims to be a Christ follower. The top button issue is am I, am I truly surrendering and allowing Jesus to be the boss of all of my life? Not just parts of it, but all of it. Let's pray together. Father, Father, we know that this world really, especially here in America, but really everywhere in the world now, 
people see wealth and they see what wealth can do and what you can buy and the stuff that you can have. And we want to be careful to understand that none of those things are evil in and of themselves. They're not. If we have those things, what a blessing. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a blessing. But help us to understand that what Satan, more than anything else, wants to convince us of is that that should be the priority. When you've told us that your kingdom should be the priority. So we have to make a choice, a decision, about who's going to be the boss of our lives. Is it going to be Satan and what he wants? Or is it going to be you, what you want for us? Here's what we know about you, Father. You love us and only want what's best for us. Here's what we know about Satan. He's out to steal and kill and destroy. And he knows he can use this to destroy us. Help us to make wise choices, Father. And help us to do it because we love you and we know how much you love us. So I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.